This is a Woodside Church podcast. Right, well, yes, this morning we are going to be looking at the next part in our series, Nehemiah. And just a quick overview, in case you've missed one of the last few Sundays. So far, Tim, at the beginning of Nehemiah, um, spoke to us about who Nehemiah was, the fact that he was cup-bearer to the king, the fact that when he heard this news about the state of Jerusalem's walls, he had a passion, and that passion turned into prayer. And it talks about how he prayed day and night, and night and day. And um, Tim then looked at the second chapter as well. And then we had Ron, who shared with us about rebuilding and how the word rebuild um, and how, how we need to encourage and how we are able to encourage one another. And then Felix last week, looking at chapter four. And what I remember from Felix's, priest la- uh, pr- Felix's preach last week was the words, our God is great and awesome. And there was real... Yeah, it was fantastic to be reminded that our God is great and awesome. And he, he spoke about how um, the people in Jerusalem were being attacked from all sides, from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. And it was about this time that some of the men and their wives, they raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. You see, what was happening was they said, we have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we have had to sell some of our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it because our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then Nehemiah pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and workers, have been lending the people money, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do all that you say. Then I called the priests, and I made the nobles and officials swear to do as they had promised. Then I shook out the folds of my robes, and I said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God do to you... Sorry, I've forgotten that bit. Then I called, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. There is a lot going on in these verses for the people, the Jews in Jerusalem. They are being attacked from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And you can almost cope with being attacked by those you don't know, by being mocked by those you don't know, by being threatened by those you don't know. But here, it's their fellow Jews 
their identity as a Jewish people, they are being hurt by their own relatives. Their own relatives are not helping them in their time and need. Rather, they're being selfish and they are charging interest. Okay, so what I'd like us to do, thank you, Elijah, is we're going to look at a few verses um, at a time and just see what's happening here. So about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. And I was surprised when I started sharing that this morning that I got emotional. But you know what? Hearing those contributions this morning is a reminder. God cares about all of our needs. He knows what we need, whether, you know, emotionally, physically, monetary value. He knows exactly what he needs, and we worship a God who is great and awesome. So, you see, this was something that was affecting whole families. It wasn't just the men who raised the cry of protest. It wasn't just the women who raised the cry of protest. Something in, sometimes in society, there may be something that just affects the women, or there may be something that just affects the men. But here, it was the men and the women together. They raised this cry of protest, and they were, you know, getting across their point. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. It's not a case of, oh, you know, we need a bit of extra money so I can buy some chocolate for my kids' Christmas, or I need a bit of extra money so I can buy this outfit over here that I like. They were facing severe hardship and famine. And, um, yeah, they had this emphatic and firm cry of protest, we need food. Then the next verses, others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. You see, the situation is dire. It's a famine. They are having to sell their fields and their lands, and even their homes are having to mortgage to get enough money to buy food. And those with large families are affected first and are affected worse. See, they are experiencing this, family, this famine probably partly due to the Persian taxes that had been placed on them. And, um, and also, because undertaking the rebuilding of the wall, the people, and this is from a commentary that um, Raymond Brown writes on, on Nehemiah, the people had taken a step of faith. They had left their normal trades, crafts, and professions, farms, and small holdings for a period of two months. And the sacrifice was now beginning to cut deeper into home and family life. With the leading breadwinner away from home, many families were without food. And we've, we've looked at how people of different professions were all involved in doing the war, even jewellery makers. You know, they were, everyone was getting involved together and rebuilding this war together. And there was now a financial implication for these families. The next few verses, we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we have had to sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. We would all agree that slavery is a terrible thing. These men and women who are who are struggling to survive, remind everyone we are all the same. We are all the same. They are part of the same family. They were all Jews. They had that group identity, all Jews together. They are God's chosen people. And those who are poor are not any different to those who are well off. All God's people together. 
our, and the words in there, our children are just like theirs. Wealthy children, poor children, our children are all the same. The children of the wealthy are just like the children of the financially destitute, and they're all part of the same family. They spoke, acted, and lived very differently to those people around them, the Jews did. And they needed to be able to show others how they needed to reflect who God was. And in this situation, they're not doing that. They're not showing God's love. They're not showing God's mercy. They're not showing God's kindness. They should be helping each other out. In the next few verses, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I said, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrowed money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. When Nehemiah hears what's going on, he's understandably very angry. And these verses, what I find, um, one of the things that spoke to me is that it says, he didn't act rashly, he deliberates first, and then he speaks out. And then there's an encouragement there for us. When something upsets us, and we want to sometimes have an emotional response, sometimes actually we need to ponder, deliberate, and pray about it before then reacting. We find out here that it's the Jewish nobles and officials, those with responsibility and who are hurting their own relatives. And you see, the problem is that they're charging interest when they lend money. And the issue is that they're doing this to their own relatives. They are hurting them by asking for more than they can afford. Okay, I need a couple of volunteers for this next little bit. Is there anyone, two people, who would be happy just to come up for a minute and help me? Lovely, thank you, Lachmi. And one other person, thank you. That's great, Zach. Okay, this is my special money bag. <clears throat> right. Are you able to come up, Lachmi? Thank you, Zach. Thanks, Lachmi. Okay, right. Zach, you were up on stage first. You are my rich man, okay? Lachmi, you come to Zach and you tell him that you need money to feed your family and to feed your children, okay? So, are you able... Yeah. Oh, I need money to feed my family. <laughs> okay, so Lachmi needs money to feed her family. And for parents out there, you know what it's like. As a parent, you want to do everything you can to help your family. Now, the issue is, obviously this isn't, we're pretending this isn't Zach, because I'm sure Zach's very kind and very generous. He says, oh, I've got this big bag of money... And you only let, show, show people some of the money you've got in there, some notes, some big coins, yeah, lots of money. But he only le- lends Lachmi one. And then, not only that, but he then says to her, when you repay that, you have to give me more than one coin back. I need, I need two. two okay. Thank you very much. A round of applause for our thank you very much for our volunteers. And that's exactly what the problem was. Those people who had all the money were lending money but charging interest. Okay? People in Lachmi's position, the people who were poor coming here, they they didn't have any money in the first place. How are they going to be able to repay one coin, let alone two coins? And they were doing this to themselves, to their own relatives. Right, anyone under 18? Does anyone want any chocolate coins? You need to come to the front, come, come grab a chocolate coin. Come on. 
Chocolate, chocolate coin. coin. What do you want two back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anyone else? Yes. I've got a whole bag of chocolate coins. Yeah? Should I throw a couple out and save you coming? Will that be better? Okay, great. There you go. So if you want a chocolate coin afterwards, including adults, you're welcome to come and ask me. And, and I won't ask for two back. Um, okay, so you see, how can you pay what you don't have? How can you repay? Uh, actually, when we look at God and his grace, there's no way we could ever repay what he's done for us. Yeah. Never. Ever, 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 ever. Okay? God is extremely gracious to us and extremely kind and extremely compassionate. Our God is great and awesome. Our God is a good God. He has given us what we don't deserve. Okay, next few verses. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Here, Nehemiah is reminding the nobles and officials of all the efforts that are being made to redeem some of the Jewish people who have had to who have gone into slavery in pagan lands, all that they are doing to redeem them and bring them, bring them back. And then what an awful scenario to then be sold back into slavery again, but to people that you know. Having already been redeemed once, why, why are they being sold into slavery again? And Nehemiah says, how often are we having to redeem them? Okay, they were not those people who had the ability to provide for their poor poor relatives, they were not providing for them or allowing them to enjoy freedom, but rather they were enslaving them again. Okay, and perhaps these nobles and officials had forgotten the words that they'd been taught from Leviticus 25. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, and obviously the number of times in these verses it does mention about land and olive groves and vineyards, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative." If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him as a hired worker or as a temporary resident resident who lives with you, and he will serve you only until the time of Jubilee. There was a set period of time, only serve until the time of Jubilee. The nobles and officials realize that what they have done is wrong. And they have nothing to say in their defense. They knew their actions were wrong, unlawful, and unkind. And dishonoring to God as well. They were being unkind, selfish, and greedy. And when we're reminded of what Jesus says, the first and greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your soul, and your mind, and your strength. And the second commandment is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's what the Ten Commandments, you know, summed up. That's what you're doing. It was helping people to know how to love their neighbours, and they weren't doing that. 
And then Nehemiah says, Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? You see, Nehemiah presses further. Their silence is not enough. Nehemiah knows that actions, not just words, are needed. Words alone will not put food in the mouths of those who are without. Nehemiah speaks further. He encourages them to think about their actions and the results that those are having. He says, in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations, as Jews and as their identity as God's chosen people, they were standing out from those around them. And yet in this case, how could they stand out as God's chosen people if they're just doing exactly what everyone else does? Charging interest, enslaving people. They weren't representing God. And Raymond Brown, again in his Nehemiah commentary, says, who would believe that Israel's God was kind, merciful, and compassionate when his worshippers were cruel, merciless, and mean towards the people he loves? We too, as a community of believers, are to reflect who God is and to reflect what he is like. We are a city on a hill, shining for all to see. You see, yes, we reflect Christ individually in the conversations that we have with people in our day-to-day jobs, in our day-to-day life. But actually, as a community, we represent Christ in a way that we can't do individually, in the way that we, when we serve each other, when we cook meals for each other or help each other financially or practically or in prayer, we stand out from those around us when we do that. And as a community, we can reflect God. And why do we do this? We do this because of our relationship with God. Okay, next few verses. I myself, as well as my brothers and workers, have been lending the people money and grain. So Nehemiah has been lending the people money. He says, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. He didn't say, I'll give you a month to sort it out, you know, sort out the red tape, or give you until next week. He said, this must be sorted out today. And, um, and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new oil, and olive oil. So he's not just saying you must give back your, their fields and their homes. He's not just saying you must give back the money that they lent. He's saying you must repay the interest as well. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people we will do, as you say. God has done a work in their hearts. Whether it's out of sheer fear or genuine repentance, I don't know. Um, okay, so what a brilliant outcome. The nobles and officials agree to this. They say, yes, we will give it back. We will give back everything. We will demand nothing more from the people. But actions, not just words, are needed. Okay, and in Luke six thirty-five, I just want to read a few things here. Um, Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Okay, so what Nehemiah does next, sorry, I know I'm kind of darting around a little bit, is he calls the nobles and officials and he makes him swear to do what they promised. And he shakes out the folds of his robe. There's a prophetic action here. And what's really interesting is what it would have meant to the people who saw that. Um, So in the Nehemiah commentary, 
Raymond Brown says, this prophetic action was not merely to illustrate truth and make the prophet's saying more memorable. To the Eastern mind, the sign was inseparable from the event it portrayed. It almost initiated the action it described. So this was a strong warning to those nobles and officials that action in addition to words was needed. And then what happens next is the whole assembly responds amen and they praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Everyone together responds amen, let it be so. And together they praise the Lord. And there's so much going on for these people at the moment, rebuilding the walls, the change in their daily life, you know, giving up their jobs for a while to help building the wall, the attacks and the threats from everyone. And what a blessing it must have been to all praise the Lord together, to have that healing, to have that unity, to have that restoration, to have that identity back together again, united. And we see that the people did as they had promised. And... Something that has, I've been reminded of whilst reading these verses is how in the Bible it's often talking about the corporate, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah? And let, forgive us our trespasses, give us today our daily bread. It's not just me, 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 me. And other things like, for God so loved the world, yeah? or how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. There's that corporate identity. Dear brothers and sisters, you know, often the letters will start, brothers and sisters. Okay, so there's just a few points that I'd like us to land with. One is there is opportunity in community. There is opportunity in community for us to reflect God, to reflect who God is and what he is like to those around us. And then, yeah, so we'll look at that one first. So there's opportunity for us to represent and reflect God and who he is. Um, And I've mentioned about how, you know, God's Israel needed to be kind and loving to represent a God who is kind and loving. And when people see us, what characteristics of God do we reflect? Because we are members of God's family. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 says, He died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. He died for everyone. And then next, 2, 3, 4 and more. I know it sounds a bit silly, but by definition, community involves others. Okay? Community involves others. But society today can be very, very individualistic. And there's a quote here found from a website, verywellmind.com. In individualistic cultures, people are considered good if they are strong, self-reliant, assertive, and independent. This contrasts with collectivist cultures, where characteristics like being self-sacrificing, dependable, generous, and helpful to others are of greater importance. The question I want to ask us this morning is, what culture are we part of? It's challenging, isn't it? I want to encourage us this morning to remind ourselves that we are part of something much bigger. I used to be individualistic and self-reliant, and obviously I still am in certain areas, but 
God in his grace and mercy has taken me on a journey and I now much more appreciate the people around me. And yes, living, you know, in community is sometimes harder or is sometimes painful. You have to self-sacrifice. But actually the joys that you get and the benefit of doing it is fantastic and we do represent God. And yet again, I think this is my last quote from R. Brown, but people who want to enjoy the benefits and advantages of community life cannot live selfishly and totally heedless of others. Okay. And then last point is make it happen. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're not already part of a community group, it's a great opportunity to be involved in community with other people. So on here on a Sunday, I will know some things about some of you and some of you will know some things about me. But unless we get into kind of smaller groups and spend time with each other outside of a Sunday, I'm not going to know you and you're not going to go know me. And there's no way I'll be able to know all of you in the same, same depth as I will just a handful of you. But that's one of the great advantages of meeting up with other people in the week is we have that opportunity to pray for each other, to find out what's going on in each other's lives, to encourage each other and to offer support. Um, so, yes, it's not, we are designed to be part of God's family and that involves other people. And let us not just think about what God has said to us this morning, but let's put it into action. Thank you. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.